0: Downloads of this show are available on Potomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app. You are now listening to Lost and Rebound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. Oh, yeah.
1: My name is Jimmy. We are your hosts for a show called Lost and Rewound. Every week here we try our darndest to explore the old sounds of the yesteryears, be it ours or somebody else's. But all that said, it's all about hearing the sounds of the past. And you can contribute your sounds of the past to us directly at Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org.
0: You can also help keep our station afloat by giving us donations because again this is free form radio so you're not being bombarded with advertisements and all kinds of things trying to creep into
1: your brain box yes it's rough out there right now a lot of people out there need help especially those who are affected in texas of those who are affected in southeast asia absolutely our heart goes out to everyone obviously considering the importance of matters we're not obviously at the very top of the food chain but you're listening to us right now and you clearly appreciate the work that we're doing and so, contribute a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, an Alexander Hamilton. If you want to go to our... Direct- you have to, had
0: to sing that. You had to sing Hamilton. I didn't have to. I just it's, like, wanted- it's like every time someone breaks out a ten dollar bill now, they're going to be singing.
1: Is yes. that the story? It can be. Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash LAR and directly contribute to our show. Be a sponsor. Or, if you want to contribute any amount of money at all that I mentioned to the community as a whole... Go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash pledge. Yay! Let's move on to the show, to our guest for this week. Michael Clemo is a Brooklyn-based multidisciplinary artist focused in the world of field recordings. His work has been shown in galleries all across New York City and even in Guadalajara, Mexico. In 2013 and 2015, Michael was awarded the Sonic Mabolela Sound Art Residency in Limpopo, South Africa. Yes, I did look that up. (laughs) And currently, he's an artist-in-residence at the Mana Contemporary BSMT Residency in Jersey City. Please welcome to the show Michael Clemo. Hey,
0: welcome, welcome. I feel as though you could have just gone that and I would have I wouldn't have done any
1: better. I, I mean, hey man, that's far out. The, in two different summers you got to spend in South Africa,
2: right? It was the summer, or it was the fall. I mean, it was, it was November to December. So it wasn't nearly a, as hot. It's better high. time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's
1: their spring though. Oh, oh that's it's right because yeah, they're south of the equator. When was the first time you got? to go on some kind of international pilgrimage to
2: work on your art to work on my art it was probably 2013 that, that it was that yeah. one it was that one how did you get involved in that so there's a sound artist francisco lopez whose main thing is field recording and he's prolific he has you know hundreds of releases and he ran this residency in the brazilian amazon for the longest time called uh, that's another weird M name, Mamori, uh, Sonic Mamori or whatever. Is that a place called Mamori Lake near Manaus in Brazil? And in 2010, I applied to go on that trip and it didn't work. out Like I was accepted, but it didn't work out for logistical reasons. And then later on they, you know, he sort of lost the contact there and they stopped doing it there. And I thought I would never go on the trip. And then he emailed everybody and said, Oh, Hey, this is in 2013 I said, "Oh, hey we're doing it again but it's in south africa come <laughs> and so i did <laughs> how many of you guys were, were down there uh was, was it was a pretty healthy amount of folks from america there's usually like a contingent from the u.s three four people and then the rest of them are kind of an international crew some of them for south africa uh, you know brazil a lot from europe there was one guy from shanghai but i think he was french I don't know. It was a a very, you know, very international scene.
0: You were there doing field recordings.
2: Yeah, like the the purpose of that residency was a a field recording workshop. And the main activity is field recordings. They're very interested in long form sort of nature recordings. I'm putting air quotes. No one can see this. I'm putting air quotes on nature recordings because like people consider this a composition style also. So it's not just people making recordings to you go to sleep to.
1: Right. That's what my first impressions were when I was growing up with uh, this you know, sound art, if you will. How, how did yeah. you, if that isn't even a proper term, how did you get involved in it in the first
2: place? I was thinking a lot about that, bringing the stuff here today. Um, but the way that I got into sound art is through recording my rock band back in you know the 90s and that sort of thing we tended to always do everything ourselves so we built our own project studios and figured out how to make the band recording work so that we could make demos and our own albums and that sort of thing and this was at the time when the home recording revolution was at its bleeding edge back in the late 90s and everyone was starting to move slowly to digital from their four-track tape recorders that they had mm-hmm. and I got into that and I had a Mac you know I was like a Mac person we were a Mac household growing up. so there were all these like weird little applications that you could get somewhere on the internet that had to do with these strange things that I'd never heard about like granular synthesis and even people whose names I recognize now just seemed very strange like Akira Rabelais had this oh Argafontes liar it was like this strange piece of software that did all these, what I would later come to understand as uh, computer music techniques. I guess I just happened to tap into something, learning how to record my own like rock songs that then kind of grew into an interest that survived to the, the end of those bands. What instruments did you play when you first started playing music? Uh, I played bass guitar because my best friend wanted to play regular guitar. And so we had to have (laughs) something different to do. Were you raised in a more urban environment or a more rural environment? Rural. I'm from the Berkshires in Massachusetts.
1: So you kind of had to make your own studio anyway. DIY was the way to go because there
2: wasn't going to be so much access to such a large studio per se. Yeah, there wasn't access in that area that I knew of at the time or certainly not for like, you know, like a 16 year old. And then there was also this idea that studio time was fantastically expensive and i had you know lunch money
1: <laughs> in high school you were hanging out with all the musician friends and after classes were done it was right to make in the studio or working on cutting some music
2: yeah well we were learning how to play our instruments also and just like how to write songs and just learning everything together which was kind of a funny thing because that band even though that was the band that i first moved to new york with also like we all went to kindergarten together even by the time the band broke up we had known each other for, you know 25 years or something like that that's the dream <laughs> to have friends
1: that you grow up with and you guys all are like linked creatively to create something together are they all doing music now
2: to some degree or have you strayed away as sort of being like the most serious about it i think that it comes and goes for some of them some of them have just you know like sold all their stuff after the band broke up and moved away had babies and stuff.
3: Yes, that's that's the the thing. that changes that's everything. That's or
2: we want to
0: get too many dogs, right? Right.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh huh. I see. You. Would I you say see that, you there.
0: <laughs> Would you say that your movement towards music and field recording has changed your appreciation or the way that you listen to sound? For instance, in TV or movies or things like that.
2: Uh, it's changed the way I listen to everything. It's changed the way I listen in general. I think that there was like a transition I did like from being calling myself a musician to calling myself a sound artist and then even another transition from you know a sound artist to an an artist for whom the practice is listening which I think then opens me up to not just be using sound as my only material but also a different way of experiencing the world
0: Well it's true cuz I was just thinking about something How external stresses can affect the way that you interpret media and stuff. You know, you can really enjoy something when you're in a very pleasurable space. And if you have something that's grating on you, you're in pain, you might not experience it the same way. So you could create where people walk in and artists have a thing and you pay or you don't pay and it's an installation. You could have an installation.
1: Well, right. (laughs) And it seems like your installation involvement has definitely picked up steam over the past several years. When was the first time you realized, I
2: can be an artist in residency, like I can do this? When I wasn't in bands anymore, I went back to grad school. I went to NYU and there was a group of people who kind of came from all different walks and were interested in all different things. It was an interactive arts program mm-hmm. and I t- tried to t- take on uh, interactive sound as a, a thing. And I think it was then that I sort of realized that I could create an environment that you could interact with using the same technology that I had been interested in because of the band for years and create experiences that weren't just, you know, an album where you'd you know, put the CD on or whatever and, you know, listen to it outside of the typical environment of a music venue. Mm -hmm. And I still do that kind of thing. But I think that now there are other, you know, there are other avenues open to me. And the installation thing is a neat idea. You can create a, a sonic space and work with the architecture of the space itself and create something that is very different, but I think still has for me, like the kind of same mystery that I'm always looking to inspire in people. To some extent, there's a sense that with recorded material, especially in the context of an installation or an installation performance, uh, there's some way that I'm thinking about it where I'm trying to create a physical space out of experiences that I've had. That doesn't always have to be the rubric that I'm building around but that is something that occurred to me more recently and with some of the stuff from South Africa that I recorded over those years I mean I was one of my favorite recordings was you know made with my iPhone on the backseat of a cab as I was going back to OR Tambo airport in 2013 and that day we woke up and heard that uh, Nelson Mandela had died and that I just happened to be in Johannesburg Like on that date. Wow. It was crazy. And like the whole city changed and it, you know, there was a visual aspect to it, but where I was, was trying to get back to the airport and the guy who was driving the cab was kept flipping the channels on the radio and every channel was like something about Madiba. When the events are going to take place for his memorial or what is happening or chaos. Songs that we're going to play now. I think everybody had this stuff lined up for like months because he had been sick. And meanwhile, you had the iPhone going. I just, yeah, like all, (laughs) because of course all of my equipment's in the trunk, right? Right. So I was sitting there cursing myself. But it's kind of one of my favorite recordings from that time because it had so much. Those moments in time. Yeah. That you can capture, you know, and something that's going to speak to people on a
0: different level. I was just um, speaking with someone that was British and they were saying, oh, my God, I, I don't know what's going to happen when the queen dies. Like they have to shut the country down for a week and they have to change the money and the songs and like all this stuff has to happen. And I was just like, oh, yeah, she's been around for like longer than any monarch in like British history. It's a big deal, especially when it's I mean, Nelson Mandela was like. A legend in his own time. There's very few people who have who who achieve that status where they're
1: larger than life. How insane that you happen to be there at the time that it occurred, being somebody who is all about catching moments without necessarily them having to be premeditated. There seems to be a lot of not essential necessarily improvisation, but just organic things happening just naturally organically in your field of work
2: I don't think that it's different from improvisation in
1: some ways sure it's just I guess it depends on how you want to look at it you are not making them happen they are happening to you so there's nothing I mean you could be improving on the fly but when things are happening it's just the way it is happening and you just sort of have to wing it and figure out how you're going to respond
2: yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that it's about being receptive. And I think that that gets back to the idea of listening. And these are the th- the things that I start more thinking about characterizing my work around is this idea of being receptive, listening, and being open. And there's work that I make where I go someplace and I come back. I was in Brazil just now. And like I was in the Amazon and that, you know, I, well, I spent like maybe That's a, a trip week there. there. That's a trip. It was crazy. It's a crazy how
1: you gotta get like all sorts of shots before you go to the Amazon or something, don't you?
2: Well, I got a yellow fever shot. I had a lot of the other ones. It was interesting because it was simultaneously a trip how out there it was and a trip how not out there it was, you know. I felt very isolated in the forest, you sort of like, you know, hike around in this forest reserve and you feel very isolated and then you hear this jet plane go by <laughs> and you're like, you can never escape the human impact is available to you if you're there, like, listening to it. And Visually, you don't see it, but you can hear it, you know. Like, you might be a kilometer or two away from the highway, but you can still hear that truck with the engine brake, you know. It's fascinating.
1: You were
0: alluding to a little bit before, especially with the field recording, is in any sort of documentary setting, you can approach with an idea of a story you would like to tell, but you sort of know that you're learning the story. You're not telling the story. You're trying to uncover the story. And by that, you know, you have to go in with an idea or you'll never get anything. Right. But that idea is going to change. And you know that's going to change. And by the end, no matter what you get, you'll, hopefully, you'll be changed as a filmmaker by the end. That's like the the main, or as a, a, in doing, you know, documentary film, in the same way, just a content creator, that somehow you're going to get something across that's going to, be profound that's the, the greatest hope
1: what was your intent going into
2: the brazil trip and what did you come back with i think that my approach to this one was definitely tempered by my experiences in south africa and i also went and recorded in hebrides and scotland and palestine and a number of other places i've come around to knowing that i need to be open and so I think I approach my field recording now in this way where like I don't even like I have no idea what I'm going to find when I get there. And so some of it is kind of exploratory and even at the end you know you run around and kind of make all these recordings and I was leaving equipment in specific locations for like 30 hours at a time. Just like uh, you are recording equipment and there would there be anything
1: as well to influence sounds that otherwise that wouldn't be made? I don't
2: I didn't fully Oh, grasp. sorry, sorry. Grasp. I Are you saying that
0: there he would he would he would leave something there to antagonize sounds? Maybe. That seems like a little bit I stretching. I think the whole idea is that he's capturing the net. What's there? Well, and, it, he's, see, and he's but not there see, with a the recorder. It's but, hidden. But, but, so can, like, okay, but can kind of unfold. Not like I... flashes. <laughs> <laughs> and people like, why is this thing flashing? Sonic
1: booby traps. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what I'm saying. like You basically are, are putting a, an alien object into a wild setting they're likely going to look at it and be somewhat confused
2: right i mean there is the risk of that happening yeah there is the risk of that happening i mean like when we were in south africa with francisco he would always say you should probably strap your stuff to a tree because the baboons will carry it off yep but stupid baboons (laughs) hey no judgments on this show (laughs) i mean i I can say like this i've
0: personally had baboons steal stuff from me yeah. Six Flags, they stole stuff out of my dad's God car. God damn it. That's <laughs> what baboons do. It's just that they grab, if they can grab it on their hand, that's like they want it. But yeah. you don't judge them. That's just how they are.
2: It's just how, they, yeah. That's how we've, <laughs> we've made them hungry for McDonald's. So take it from you. Exactly. Were you a good listener when you were younger? I don't know. That's a good question. Probably the answer is yes and no. <laughs> it dep- depending on who was speaking. Right. Well, did you have a better relationship with one parent or the other? Uh, that's a good question too. I think it depended on whether I was getting what I wanted. <laughs> Do you have less of a tolerance to listening to nonsense now? <laughs> there are things that I find interesting that I'm positive that no one else finds interesting. I, you know, like, okay.
0: What's like the campiest thing to yeah. listen to?
2: The campiest thing? Oh, I don't know. Like,
0: because uh, I know, like the Wilhelm scream is like the classic sure, sound yeah. editor's, like, <laughs> like they're in every movie, you know.
2: The um, Wilhelm scream? Yeah. The you Wilhelm don't know about the Wilhelm like, scream? Like, Are you serious? It's like the Amen break of sound design.
0: Yeah, like yeah. it's in it's it's in literally everything with someone that, I'm that sure falls I or dies. i recognize
1: rise. it, but it, I don't know the, it by its title. The
0: actual? Oh, you would definitely recognize it because everyone would. I can't remember what the actual film it was from was, but I remember seeing the imagery. And it was like a guy on a horseback. And he gets shot with an arrow. And he goes, And he makes this really over-the-top yell. And the most classic one that people always think about is in Star Wars. There's like one part where Luke shoots somebody and the stormtrooper goes, ah! and falls down. And that's, you know, And but it, it was just over and, and, and every movie. And it's great because it is, it's fun. And most people don't recognize it, but if you've done sound before, like I took like a couple of sound classes in college. So I can see a stereo field and I can understand when I hear a sound like where it should be. There's ways they train you to think about sound visually. And that helps you to kind of like paint the sound picture a little bit more, I
2: think, you know. <laughs> I, just, I just... No, i sorry. I got lost thinking about it. Stormtroopers. Yeah, Stormtroopers is <laughs> the time scream,
0: dude. I can't believe you don't know this so I
2: long. just thought the scream
1: you might have been talking about was like... Aah! Like, it's like a gut-wrenching... It's the
0: only recognizable scream in the movies. So, like, the fact that if you know what I'm talking about, like, you've heard a scream over and over again, then it's that scream. Well, right... I probably just didn't do it right
1: because I was just trying to It's okay. It. Right in this moment, right here... If anybody else is confused like myself... Just you know, cut, it, cut it in the show. We're, we're going to cut it in.
2: <laughs> right here. <laughs> Getting back on track here with what your upbringing... Were your parents at all musicians? No, my dad had a really good ear. He was one of those guys who could pick up a harmonica and bust out a tune and then put it down and be like... <laughs> oh, just like that. <laughs> you know, he would just sort of figure it out. I don't know. That's how I learned. I wasn't trained as a musician. I don't read music. I wasn't trained as an engineer. I wouldn't be... A good engineer in a studio. Like I've done sound design for stuff, but I'm not a sound designer per se. It's like a very weird thing. This was part of what I was saying earlier was because I was into recording, because we built all of our own studios when we did the band stuff, I knew all the equipment, but it was all very casual. And then I got into software and started doing computer music and programming digital signal processing and stuff like that and started composing that way. And then kind of happened on Francisco's work and got interested in field recording. And now that's always what I sort of default to doing. And you mentioned the thing at Mana Contemporary, which Mm -hmm. is actually over now. I was there. That's probably still in my bio. Like I haven't updated my website. (laughs) Maybe, (laughs) yes. But that's a project that started off as a sound project where I was trying to resonate the building. And then the more I got into the history of the building and discovered that it had been a cigarette factory. Right, it's
1: like a huge,
2: huge industrial space. It's two million square feet. That's
1: crazy.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's two million square. I mean, I can't even wrap my brain around this. It's like seven it's, floors of art. It's insane. Art. When I got into the history of that building, they found out that it had been a tobacco company, a L'Oriard tobacco company, which is like older than the U.S., they started in 1760, and then realized that if I wanted to resonate the building, the sort of best way to do that was by growing tobacco. So I ended up farming, like I ended up growing tobacco in my studio, not doing nothing with sound. That's incredible. So you were, so you are a tobacco farmer in some cases. Yes, I'm an occasional tobacco well, for.: I
0: think, I think that what he was pointing out before, the same way about why he, this doesn't translate as much to sound design, because when you're doing like, it's very much like technicians work. like They teach you how to make it sound the way it should sound. And right. when you're doing art, that doesn't apply. There's not a way it should sound when you're making something for people to enjoy. And not that pop radio sense, you know. But there's definitely ways when you're mixing, and they're like, you got to mix it this way. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, it'll hurt my ear, dude. I'm just like, you know we're paying this chick all this money, so we want to make her sound like that.
1: Well, right, and you have to be specific to the artist and what they are trying to look at. If I was in a similar position of that, I would not know because I have no real ear for technical stuff. I know everybody that I'm surrounded by, you both, and even Doug, our, our old producer for the show, Everybody knows their way around a board. I do not know my way around a board. You get the board the way it's supposed to. I will leave it like that. I will never touch it. I will keep it like that. It's the same thing with the RFB board here. (laughs) I I feel
0: feel tension every day with you sitting
1: over there. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Maybe you should come around to the the other side of this
0: sometime. (laughs) You're the guy with with the material. Uh Uh-huh. You got got the laptop. You're doing (laughs) all right, but I worry.
1: I'm really (laughs) impressed that you are such a non-classically trained position that you thoroughly... Worked yourself to the bone to learn things
2: on your own without even knowing a note. Yeah. I mean, we all kind of did everything by ear. I mean, even when we were, you know, we were in like high school learning our instruments, we had our favorite records. We were listening to everything that you would expect from. Rural, <laughs> rural white boys in the in the nineties. Sure. So, what 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 kind of inspirations were you pulling from? The Beatles had that resurgence in the nineties. We we're listening to a lot of stuff from the seventies. So you know, the Beatles, Zeppelin. I was a big Rush fan. Cool. Uh, but I also liked Primus and really weird stuff. I was a long time Floyd fan. Pink Floyd has always been kind of an inspiration. Studio rock. There was album rock. You know, they had these like opus long form pieces that sonically held together in ways that other things didn't but it was cool so we were listening to that be the quentin
0: tarantino of sound (laughs) why not hey
1: i wanted to uh switch gears next on lost and rewound we were going to actually take a quick break and when we come back we're going to dive into older material from the late 90s early aughts yeah are you ready
0: I oh, never ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> When we return to Lost and Rewound
1: Radio Free Brooklyn
3: What are you doing Son? This is Matt <laughs>
1: In the studio with Michael, Michael from- Clemo, <laughs> sound artist extraordinaire and world traveler. You've been living in Gowanus now for how long? You, you're, you're a you're a neighbor.
2: Yeah, I've been living there for seven years. I've had an art studio there since 2006. You were living in Jersey City. How long ago? Or so, you're you living in New Jersey. A we while were living ago. in New Jersey. We never lived in Jersey City, although we rehearsed there. And I think that. The Angel of the Odd days were mostly in Jersey. Like I said, these cats I played with, they were all from, like, except for a drummer, we were all in the same kindergarten class, which is kind of nuts to think about. And then I moved to Boston for, like, a year, and they kind of moved down to this area. And I was going through a rough time in Boston. They said, you know, you got to come down to New York. We're going to, like, really do this New York thing. And if you don't come down to New York, we're going to get a new bassist that laid it on real thick. So I uh, packed all my shit That's up. That's rough. <laughs> yeah, Yeah.
0: so <laughs> like, you should come to New York and say, no, it's really good, we're going to love it. If you don't come, we're going to kick out of the band and get a new basis, but you're going to love it. It was basically that. Though. It's going to be great. Not but okay. if you don't come, see, i never see you again. But like, slightly, you're going to love
2: it. Slightly
1: passive-aggressive ultimatum?
2: Yeah, it was. But I felt. <laughs> but I also fell
1: for it, so... Hey, and, and here you are. And now Angel of Odd was born out of your kindergarten days, but didn't come full throttle into a, a actual band for real like, until the late 90s. Yeah, late 90s. And you cut your first demo
2: in 98? Yeah, it was like 98 to 99. And then that album was released just on the side of 2000. We cut this record while we were still in college. Okay. And we built a studio in my mom's basement.
1: As all good bands in college do. No, I don't don't know that for sure. But I No, the good ones go to real studios. (laughs) No, Mom's Basement.
0: That was where rock music was born. Yes. Chuck Berry was down in his mom's
1: basement. Killing it. I thought that was the garage. Garage, basement, attic, backyard, alley-pally, whatever. Mama Berry, or as
0: they used to call her cherry berry
1: <laughs> alright so we have a track here to listen to from that uh,
2: 98 demo and it's called Classic Cool Shit in parentheses there was a lot of really purposefully bad working titles so that it would force us to rename the songs the problem with songs that never went anywhere is that we still know them by their horrible working title <laughs> well let's take a listen to this track this is Classic
1: Cool Shit by Angel of the Odd <laughs>
2: jamming man boy you didn't uh you didn't warn me about how painful this would be well the show is with a, with a tagline that would suggest as such you know the whole get embarrassed with us we've thing. never
0: had a guest get up and leave before though. that would be that's like what i'm hoping for that uh, something is so yeah. bad that they can't <laughs> even deal nah. with it
2: throw themselves into the east river yeah, yeah. They, 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 like, they like yank it out like halfway and we're like, like half the song and they're
0: like, that's
3: enough i got it, I got it. yeah I, I, you know that,
1: The problem is is that I don't really have the context, so when I hear something like that, I'm like, cool, that sounds really cool. And then you're like, oh, my God, it's terrible. (laughs) But you were commenting to us during the song how it sounds like four different songs all in one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I was transported back to my dorm room where this was probably born. uh, Sure. And... I think that I was probably very excited to come home for spring break or whatever and show my buddies, you know, my new demo or whatever. But it's funny because there were some sounds on that that I think may have been, like, created with some of those weird tools. There's that, like, kind of granulated drum beat ones. Those are, like, horrible MIDI drums. That was all me, I think. That was all you. Yeah, I think that was all me. And we had a drummer once we were all together but like we were in different colleges you were in Ithaca where everything was gorgeous and then everybody
1: else was somewhere on the east coast but just uh far away enough that it wasn't as convenient
2: yeah I mean we were like sort of scattered across upstate New York a couple of us at Skidmore one of us at Hamilton College and then most of what became the band was at Skidmore and then there were like two outliers and then we all moved in together After college, though, we rented an abandoned church that had at one point housed a record company office. And then we recorded our second album in that church, which was the Blue Album. Haunting. So that track you just heard was probably like circa 1998. I recorded that probably with a combination of whatever computer I had a four track and possibly some like early doll like deck three or something like that which i did is like before there was pro tools <laughs> it was back in the time back in the day yep in the meantime let's take a listen to kong anything we need to know about this this was recorded in 1999 in my mom's basement and or my parents basement i guess i don't know why i keep saying my mom's basement <gasps> it sounds better it was co-owned by yeah it sounds it does sound better doesn't it back (laughs) in mom's basement back in mom's basement she had exclusive rights during the week and then the weekends it was the man cave (laughs) the boy cave the boy cave at the time this was like our punk song we were all over the place this was sort of punky
0: all right punkissimo if you will Punkissimo.
2: punkissimo (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's when we flushed out that one
1: <laughs> yeah that, that 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 was legit man wow how did that come about having that last little bit in the end
2: i had forgotten about that that's <laughs> totally like your a little
0: bit of your like impression like the first man didn't know why you wanted that water in there
3: mm. and
1: they were like
0: little did we know little that, did that we water know. would take him on a i was i was gonna make a water pond
1: or a metaphor but it didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> it was the drop that became a waterfall. And just keep going. <laughs>
0: it was like the first week that watered the seed that was inside his brain cavity.
1: And then it grew into
2: something very magical.
1: Yeah, metaphors.
2: Metaphors. Or a collection of hydrophones. <laughs> a collection. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, hey we're good. That, we
1: got it. That's perfect. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was more, I guess, fleshed out and very much a full-on sonic sound of which was a group effort not an just ear only, onslaught an ear onslaught indeed. that's a good name for a band even or,
0: or album or song I, I liked it though that definitely was a
1: good how did you track. feel about that at the time was that something that really got you jazzed and excited just to be a part of a band
2: i think that what was cool about the project especially back then was that we'd always wanted to do music and we had been kind of messing around with it for a long time and this was our first attempt at making it a reality and, like, kind of putting down on tape, so to speak. Again, air quotes, because it was all digital. Mm-hmm. It was funny because I remember the computer we did this on. We recorded all this stuff in Cakewalk on a Pentium 2. At the time, that seemed state of the art. And, like, now my phone is more powerful than that. Yeah, thing. well, that's you know? what they want you to do. They want you to have
1: technology that is supposedly state of the art, right. but it can be very easily replaced with another year's upgrade and then all of a sudden your high grade technology is obsolete I
0: remember when i was a kid and they were afraid of the internet and I, when i was in school we weren't allowed to use it as a source it was like not an okay source ah and now and then when i got older like when i think i was in high school they were like okay like three internet sources counts as one book really <laughs> okay i'll just list a bunch of websites
2: why three? <laughs> Why? I don't know. I remember that also. Do you remember that? There like, was... yeah, because it's like we don't really know. No we're sort had... of in a gray area. Nobody had any frame of reference for it. They were like, we can't validate it. We don't know what's on the internet ourselves. And so they were just like, okay. Kind of. You can or do like, internet yeah. research and then also do book research, but you can't. Right. Or you had
0: to do like, yeah, you had to have like three books or you could do five books
2: or you could do like three books and a right. hundred internet
0: sources. <laughs> and that sort of, says, that sort of said the same thing.
2: You can find textbooks on the internet now. They've compared Wikipedia to other encyclopedias. It's not so surprising that there are errors in Wikipedia. It's surprising. More surprising, how many errors are in all of the book versions of, in, you know, yeah, like Encarta. Remember that? Yeah. I had Encyclopedia Britannica CD-ROM when I was growing up. Yeah, I remember that. I had that. Remember World Book? World Book was like the the like cheap one. It was
0: the Mighty Mates. Not Mighty. Is it Mighty Mates? Is that the fake um, Captain Crunch? What?
1: <laughs> are we talking about bag cereal now? Because I know nothing about that. There's, no, he's there's... talking about the Gobots not being the exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> Trans- a <laughs> probate, Yeah, that's a perfect one. It's perfect. I'm very happy somebody else brought that up. Um, Well, we have no more time to waste. We have to get on to the next track. This is a live track you performed in Williamsburg before everybody else moved to Williamsburg, and furthermore, before you
2: even moved to Williamsburg. (laughs) There were plenty of people in Williamsburg; they just weren't me. You you founded (laughs) you founded the community. It was a it was a rural farming community. It
0: was the 1600s, and it was glorious.
1: (laughs) 2003 (laughs) first rock band ever. Right. I well, I certainly had not even been to uh, visit Williamsburg yet in two thousand and three. What was this experience like playing Brooklyn in this? So, of your life.
2: We were in Bergen County. We were a Jersey band. I moved from Boston, and they were like, "Come to New York." And I like got halfway to New York and stopped to get gas and called them on a payphone. And said, "So, where in New York are you?" And they're like, "Rutherford, New Jersey." And I was like, "That's incorrect. No, that's not New York." <laughs> But ended up going there anyway. And then we did this thing where there was space for everybody. In Jersey, and we had rehearsal space in Jersey City. They were like in the same suite with this other band, Rye Coalition. Who was like, "Oh, I'm familiar with that name." Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually ran into some of those guys at Manic Contemporary a few months ago. You know, we used to be in the same location as them, and we used to all pile into a van and drive into the then starting to be gentrified Williamsburg area and play places like the Lux, that became Trash Bar, Mm -hmm. or across the street was Stinger Club. The Lower East Side was still happening. There was Luna Lounge and Sinead, the second Chennai Not the Chennai that was at St. Mark's in the 90s, but when they moved to Attorney Street. Yeah, places like that. And the Brooklyn Public House, apparently, which I had never been to, but was, I think, run by a family. <laughs> I can't remember. As
1: they should be. Yeah. Let's listen to it, and I suppose we'll have more questions after it is played. <laughs>
2: To make it seem like there were more people in the audience, how many people were at that, that show? It sounded like a good 11. There was at least three. Nice, <laughs> No, I don't know, I I can't, re- I don't remember that. Hey, show. I mean, there was like, a-
0: what is it? Th- three's a crowd,
2: three's a crowd,
0: bang, boom. That's semantics for you.
2: It sounded like a song that
1: if in my travels through, like, LimeWire or Kazaa back in the early aughts, and I would totally find... LimeWire. I would Kazaa, uh, wow. I haven't heard those words in a, in a while. That sounds like a track that in my travels I would find something like that and really fucking dig and, like, want to hear more of. Because that has a ring to it that if I had heard it in my more impressionable high-octane rock days when I would be all into that stuff, I mean, that fits right alongside, and it's catchy. You, man, do you remember like downloading a single track and it take an hour, yeah, oh of course, <laughs> like, and
0: they just like watching a little bar and then somehow also hoping that police weren't
2: gonna come and get you there was Kaza, there was another one that was hot, something, oh, I don't remember exactly, yeah. The, I remember the, those early peer-to-peer networks? Where the whole like torrenting. After that, you know. I never got into torrenting.
0: I did. I did torrenting. Sick the man. Yeah. You. I were. mean, I just like. I didn't even like saying that I was torrenting. It's like, I'm torrenting.
2: Tur- it's a dirty. Torrenting. Word. <laughs> I felt like a sorcerer. Or there's always somebody like yelling from the other room,
4: like, "Are you torrenting? I'm trying to check my email."
2: And you're like,
0: yes, I'll get back. To get your little email eventually when the spell is cast.
1: We have time for one more track uh, as a setup. What's the distance of time between
2: the track we just heard and the track we are so about to hear? That track, I hadn't heard that. Ginger Toes. Yeah. <laughs> That track is called Inamorata, but it is referred to as Ginger Toes constantly because it never made it to an album. Its working title never went away. Okay. There are a couple of those. That was early Jersey Days song. We played that right up until the very end. I went back this morning and looked at all the ones where we recorded the whole concert, and that track is on every single time. We played that every show, and it never made it to an album. So the question is... What's Ginger Toes?
0: I want to know about Ginger Toes.
2: I don't have an answer for you. So the origin story
0: of Ginger Toes is deeper. Indeed. Won't not necessarily yeah. been covered. This is like, you need
2: like a trance and, you know. <laughs> yeah, we'd need to have a medium and a little like a seance. Summon the power of Ginger Toes. The last track here we have is called East is West. The following year, okay. 2004... Instead of doing a full length, we decided to go do an EP. We had been playing out a lot, and we did kind of like a mini tour of the Northeast. And at the end of the tour, we went back to Skidmore College, where there was a professor there who had been kind of our producer. And he tracked us in the auditorium, I think, one of their concert rooms. And this was when we had tried to get away from overproducing everything because we had this horrible tendency to overproduce everything, like, you know, lay down 40 tracks of guitars just because we could. We want to be a five piece and we want to nail a track where we just kind of go in there and we do it the way that we imagine bands used to do. And so this EP was the pinnacle of us trying to be a proper five piece and not try to cover up our inability by fancy studio tricks and stuff.
3: Mmm.
1: West by Angel of the Odd, released in two thousand and four, with our guest Michael Clemo
2: on bass. And uh, who else played on that track? Our two guitarists were Philip Heslip and Wade Strange, and real—that's his real name. Love it, Wade Strange. And our drummer was Jason Forrest. And the vocalist, who I was supposed to bring here today, uh-huh. uh, but who couldn't get away, is uh, Peter Holden.
1: Hopefully, if you have the time to come back, and we certainly hope you do, you can bring him along, and we can listen to more Angel of the odd tracks, and uh, dig into his past a little bit, and you can be a fly on the wall, so the pressure will be off you as, as much as it was this time around. Uh, you've been so kind to contribute so much audio to us this week, and truth be told, you're Very, very busy with everything going on.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I've got a couple of things coming up. This winter, I'm going to do the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council workspace residency. So I'll be in a studio for nine months, kind of hopefully setting up, depending on my ability to do this in the space, I'm going to set up my eight-channel system. So I'll be able to have multi-channel works. How many years you have been doing it? I really don't know. But you have Radio Free Gowanus coming up. Not to be confused with the folks here at Radio Free Brooklyn. <laughs> right. It's Gowanus Brooklyn. It was more of an annual event. It's starting to become more of a kind of social practice piece that I do. But it was like a stunt. I have a 10-watt transmitter. And I've been doing pirate broadcasts from my studio in Gowanus annually for the Gowanus Open Studios or just whenever I feel like it. And now I've been doing more things working with other groups like the Interference Archive, which is a cool archive of protest materials in Gowanus. The next event that they're doing, I think I'm going to be involved in this in some way. They're doing a broadcast, maybe recording for our podcast on September 2nd, which is this Saturday. Uh, They're doing a block party in Gowanus on 8th Street between 2nd and 3rd Ave. There'll be a band and cool activities, button making, poster making, that sort of thing. And I will be there in some capacity with uh, Radio Freak And your website, com. you're also on SoundCloud, right? I am on SoundCloud. There's not a ton up there, but there is a recent selection of field recordings from Brazil and some other random stuff.
0: Cool. You Welcome. can also, uh, you can catch me this weekend. You can? Yeah, I'll be performing on the Popped Collar Comedy Show at The Platform in Brooklyn which is in Bushwick, off the Halsey stop on the J at 8 p.m. That's uh, this Saturday,
1: the 2nd. Awesome. So the gentlemen here in the studio with me are very much busy bees this weekend. I will be getting my vacation on. Once again, it never seems to end. Michael Klemow, thank you so much for being here with us this week. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Lostandrewound.podomatic.com and and RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash LAR is where you can get to us directly. My name is Alon.
0: And I'm Jimmy. Thank you guys so much for listening to again, Lost or Around right here on Radio Free Brooklyn.